from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Tiny House Podcast here. <laughs> We're wow. sucking this series. We really are. We are. Sorry, I tried. Let's That's try okay. this one more time. Okay, I promise. Time. Okay, keep trying. <laughs> we'll get it better next year. I promise. Oh, wait hey, a minute. Rick, it is next can you, year. Can you cue those? <laughs> and tie those together. Just cut out a cut out a clap that was perfectly synced and paste it into yep. this show. Yep. And the last two shows. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Hey, this is MJ. This is Mark. And we're coming to you with the food edition. Michelle and I are stuffing our pie holes. Well, the last the last show, we talked to a chef. We talked about food the whole time. I know. And I haven't eaten. I just realized I haven't eaten since like yesterday, three o'clock in the afternoon, Florida oh time. Florida time. Yeah. So that would have been noon our time or something. Yeah. Anyways, suddenly after that show, I literally could not think. So yes, I'm having a warmed up walnut roll from the bakery across the Ooh, street. Ooh, the French bakery. <laughs> Looks really good. Nice. Love it, love it, love it. So, um, <clears throat> is this the first guest that we've had back? No, because we just had uh, Professor Dumpster a couple shows ago. <laughs> and Professor Andrew Morrison Dumpster. circled now back. We've, we've had a, a, handful, a of, handful of them. Deacon yeah. circled back. This may be our first Portlander that we've had back, possibly. That's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. right around this time, we had the uh, pleasure of having on the show Lena Menard from Niche Consulting. Um, and we had a really good show that time because we talked about some things that uh, at the time we did the show, they were secret and then they came out. And so- They're less secret now. They're less secret now. And we're going to follow up on that stuff because Lena is on the show today. Welcome to the show, Lena. Welcome. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. We love the Circlebacks. We do love mm-hmm. the Circlebacks. Because it feels like they're old friends instead of, you know, we can ask them old questions instead of new questions. Exactly. And the old question I'm going to ask is, what's up with that boyfriend? <laughs> well, that boyfriend turned into my husband. Yay. In Yay. Yeah. So we had met, uh, as we talked about on the last show, because he was the guy next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were living in a tiny co-housing community. I was in a tiny house that I had built, and he was renting the tiny house next door to mine. And we got to know each other because we realized we were both up making breakfast early in the morning would kind of do this motion through the window thing of like, hey, do you want to come on over and eat on my porch? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how we got to know each other. And um, since then, many things have happened. One of them, well, maybe I'll let you guys drag out. No, no, no. No, no, no. Go ahead. You're on a roll. Yeah? Okay. You're on a roll. You're on a roll and I'm eating one. One of the exciting things that's happened is that we decided to design and build a new tiny house for the two of us. Mm-hmm. So I had thoroughly loved the Lucky Penny. But at 100 square feet, it was just right for me and my kitty cat and way too snug for me and my kitty cat and the new love of my life. So we designed and built a new tiny house for the two of us. It's called Tea for Two, which originally stood for tiny house for two, but we really love tea as well. So Tea for Two kind of had a double meaning there. Um, And then we were planning on continuing to live in our tiny house community, Simply Home community. We really love the folks who are there. Um, but we ended up deciding to create a new tiny house community 
a little bit down the road. Um, we appreciated the housing flexibility that that would create for us if we ever have family who um, are looking for a place to be. And, uh, and we ended up purchasing a piece of property and bringing both the Lucky Penny and Tea for Two here. So we now have a new tiny house community just down the street from the old one. We still get to hang out with our old friends. Huh. What's, and then we got what, what's uh, the dimensions of, oh, sorry. Celebration. So, so those are the big, big things that have happened in our lives over the last couple of years since we last spoke. Wow. What are the dimensions of, of Tea for Two? Tea for Two is 230 square feet, if you count the loft, hmm. which we do because we, um, we're both shrimpy. I'm 5'2 and he's 5'5". <laughs> oh, I see. We're actually able to design our tiny house as a split level. And the super cool thing about that is that we can stand up on two floors in our house. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So <laughs> even though the loft is technically a loft um, and by the tiny house code would be considered a loft, um, we are able to stand up in our bedroom, wow. which is kind of unusual for a tiny house. Mm-hmm. But we do count that. So we say 230 square feet for our new, our new tiny house. Nice. So we're on a 24 by 8 trailer. I think, as I recall, I think the bedroom has sort of um, a platform. Remember Eric Bones? Um, yeah, the mezzanine. Yeah, mm-hmm. the mezzanine. Mm-hmm. It's almost got a mezzanine feel, doesn't it? Which I really love, by the way. I've actually been very, very inspired by your build. Um, thinking about incorporating that particular attribute into one of my next ones. Um, Yay! Yeah, I really, really... So it has sort of a... You walk up the stairs, and at the top of the stairs, there's a plank or something. What is it called? Gangway or... Yeah, yeah, we walk the plank. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really, really pretty. We call it our walkway. Our, it's our bedroom floor, basically. Yeah. But what it does is it actually provides a cap for the top of the closet, which is in our office space. So it doesn't really make sense for us to have drawers going all the way up to the ceiling in our office anyway, because you can't look inside a drawer that's up at ceiling height. Right. So what it does is it gives us just a little bit of space that we're able to put art and the thing that's about to go up there is wedding photos. Oh, nice. So how was that designing? Um, we talked a little bit about that um, on the last show. How was that designing yeah. a space for two and um, that compromise and that process? Well, it's really something, let me tell you. Um, after designing and building for myself, which was in some ways completely, utterly exhausting because I had to make all the decisions and decision fatigue is real. Um, I also got to make all the decisions, (laughs) which has a certain freedom to it. So it was really, really fun for us to design together because what that enabled us to do was to get to know each other. I mean, talk about a litmus test. Designing and building a tiny house is an enormously wonderful crash course in how compatible are we? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, people, while we were planning our wedding, people are like, oh my goodness, it's the biggest thing you'll ever do together. And I was like, well... No, because we've already designed and built a house and we plan to have a kid. So <laughs> pretty sure the wedding's just a party. It'll be a fun one. And it was. But um, nevertheless, designing and building together gave us the opportunity to think really critically about how we already live, how we want to live, um, what the things are that are most important to us, what our priorities are, as well as what those things are that we're willing to compromise and not willing to compromise on. Um, so my sweetie really loves cooking and I do too, but he's better at it than I am. So um, <laughs> it was really important to him that we have a great workable kitchen. And we had been in many, many a tiny house 
in our adventures and explorations um, that had one butt kitchen. And uh, we wanted a two butt kitchen. So we could both cook in the kitchen. You guys probably know what I'm talking about, yes, right? Yes. One, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he also, because he's got a job where he has to, you know, look pretty when he goes to work, um, he wanted some closet space with hanging hanging uh, space for clothes. And so we accommodated that as well. Um, we wanted to have an office because I do a lot of work from home and we wanted that to be a flexible space. So we have two doors we can close in our house, which is pretty swanky. And, uh, and it was really, you know, it really was, was fun to be able to work together to figure that out. We had three designs that were all pretty, pretty intriguing to us as possibilities. And we ended up honing in on this one because it met so many of the criteria that we had. So it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good. Mm. Pretty darn good fit for I us. Was, I was laughing because you talk about the fact that, you know, building a tiny house together is sort of the litmus test for a relationship. Um, I, Mark and I are on our third. <laughs> and it's so mm. funny. Like, we are still constantly amazed that we're still together. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we have this conversation, we have all these other things we don't do well. <laughs> but ironically, that's the one thing we do well. And so that's actually what keeps <laughs> us together in many, many regards is um, that we work really well together on that project. Very but, cool. Um, such, such a long, like you said, decision fatigue, such a long list of stuff. And you got to arm wrestle constantly about who gets to make the decision. Yeah. I imagine that yeah. would be stressful. Mm. Well, I also, when I do design work with clients, uh, whenever it was a couple, I ended up doing some couples counseling in, in addition to it, you know, yeah. you yeah. can't really do design without working things through yeah. um, between people. Um, actually I learned that that was part of it. I knew that was going to happen. Actually, Mark did. Um, on my most recent design, he called me and said, oh, by the way, the way you drew it wasn't going to work, so I changed it. <laughs> so the compromise on my part um, was really like, okay, dear. <laughs> so I had to take back a bunch of windows, and then I had to buy a bunch of windows. Um, yeah, so that was uh, it, that was interesting. Hey, Lena, did you guys build yours at uh, Green Acres, I think, Anchors? Oh, yes, we did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, both the Lucky Penny and T for Two were built down at Green Anchors. Interesting. Um, the year that I built the Lucky Penny, which was 2014, it was me and one other person building down there. The year before, there had been a couple who built the tiny house, and then it just exploded exponentially mm-hmm. from there. So it was like one, two, four, 28. <laughs> <laughs> really, really bumped up. Um, but I loved building at Green Anchors because... First of all, there are other fun people doing fun projects down there. You know, there are buses and there are, you know, schoolie conversions. There are old Airstreams getting fixed up. There are people operating all sorts of cool maker businesses out of shipping containers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of good creative energy, people willing to collaborate and help each other out with things. Um, There are people around when people are doing a wall raising. There are people who are excited to share, you know, leftover materials with each other. Um, so those are all really neat elements. And then the location is phenomenal yeah. being right there underneath the St. John's bridge mm-hmm. park right next door. Um, you know, the river is right there. It's just a really cool spot to be doing maker activity. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to be able to make a ruckus without having concerns that you're going to disturb the neighbors because yeah. they're all busy making a ruckus too. Yeah. <laughs> did we, did we try to, um, see if the green anchors, uh, people would be willing to be on a show. Did we try and do that? No, nope, mm. I don't think so. I don't just, think we've invited just, them directly. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Um, we got rebuffed by that guy who lives on that boat. But we, on the tugboat. Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't think we tried to. We should get them on the show. That would be an interesting show, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're folks. certainly I'll put in a good word for you. Yeah. What, what's that, Lena? Lena? I said they're good folks. I'll put in a good word for you. Please Thank do. You. Yeah. yeah, please do. <laughs> they certainly have proven themselves to be a really supportive and central part of the Portland community, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the Portland scene, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, we again, call that the tiny house nursery. That's where all the tiny right. houses oh. are being born. Nice. <laughs> last time, last time I was there. I mean, I want to say there's at least. Oh, I still want to say there's at least probably between thirteen and fifteen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, at almost at any given time, mm-hmm. coming and going, and of course, you know, Tiny Digs Hotel has their shop there, so they're right. cranking out a new one every. Wow. Yeah, Tiny Digs Hotel has a massive shop mm-hmm. there. They're actually mm-hmm. kicking out a new one every two months. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So, hey, Lena, so the last time we spoke, or maybe it was we read somewhere, the property (laughs) where you had your community was being considered to exchange hands, the ownership, from the property owner to the community. Did that ever happen? Yeah, so at Simply Home Community, part of the idea, as it was originally created, was that it would be, there would be an LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, that would... uh, that would eventually own the property and people could own shares of the company, which owned the property. Um, to the best of my knowledge, that has not happened. Um, I, I'm not totally up to date on it. So something could have happened that I'm not aware of, but in the meetings that I was in where that was discussed, um, what ended up being talked about was that banks tend to love to loan money for residential property purchases to married couples with good incomes, mm. which is basically what happened. <laughs> so oh. when, uh, when the owners at Simply Home purchased that property, that's the position they were in. Turns out banks do not like particularly to loan homes to, or loan money, sorry, uh, to purchase homes or purchase property to young companies that don't have a proven financial track record, nor do they like to lend money to groups. Because groups are complicated. (laughs) You know, marriage is one of those institutions that the banking industry tends to like to believe in, um, whether or not the statistics will (laughs) follow through on that. Um, But but groups, you know, groups of three or four or eight people tend to get people a little bit squirmy. Um, uh, And by people, I mean bankers. So it has proven to be challenging for people to own shares in a piece of property and, and rather than it being, you know, uh, one or two people who own the property. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about that, I think, is that owning shares would enable more people to have access to being landowners, mm-hmm. you know, to having, having capital that they, that they um, can take advantage of in that way. But, it's it's a risky business to get involved with the purchase of land when there are you know six or seven other people involved too. That's a really big commitment. You're you're kind of legally uh, obligated to a large number of people, and so that is for some people that's really appealing to have that sense of ownership not only of the land but commitment to the other people. And for other people, there's this real squirminess about it. Like, oh no, I know I don't. You know, I like you guys a lot, but I don't know. If I'm <laughs> 
know, be married to you on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, by, by joint ownership of a piece of property. Totally. So, um, so to the best of my knowledge, that has not happened there. There are lots of people exploring different permutations across the country. Hmm. Um, there are people looking into land trusts as a possibility. Um, there are people who are trying to figure out whether it would make sense to set them up as co-ops. So there's certainly a lot of exploration about it right now. Um, we set up here at Going Places very similarly to how Simply Home was structured last I checked, which is that the property is owned by a married couple, um, and then other spaces are, are rented. You know? So that's, that's how we're currently set up. Okay. Well, do you think that, um, to what extent do you think that also the, shall we say, pending legality or ongoing <laughs> legality issues associated with tiny houses to what extent do you also think that that may have contributed to the bank's nervous factor? Um, do they compare them to RV? I mean, aren't they just an uh, RV park for tiny houses? You want to talk about? So as a point of reference, I lease um, the property that I am on. Um, I will have three houses there very shortly and five houses there eventually. And all of my tiny houses are on wheels. And the reason why I do that is because until the tiny houses are fully legal, I don't want to invest that much money into a piece of land because then someone comes along and says, you can't do that, and then I'm really stuck. As opposed to now, if someone comes along and says, we can't do this, um, what I'm doing is super duper tough. Um, so if someone comes along and says, we can't do this, they're all on wheels for a reason. So um, did banks understand, or what was their knee-jerk reaction to a tiny house community? Um, talk a little bit about that process, um, even for your own land. Yeah. So this is a really good one you're bringing up here, MJ, because it's, it's kind of the bugaboo of the tiny house world, <laughs> right? There's this whole, like, are they, are they legal? Are they not legal? And the, the reality of the situation right now is actually really different than it was two years ago. And what, what is happening is this. It is now legal for municipalities that have adopted the new tiny house appendix, which was created by a group of tiny house advocates and was passed through the International Code Council last year. It's called Appendix Q. It is now legal for people to build a tiny house according to that code in municipalities that have adopted it. One thing to note though, is that as of today, that set of regulations is only for ground-bound structures. It's for buildings that go through a building process, permit process, and are anchored to the ground with a foundation. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, in your conversations with Andrew, you've gotten lots of good details about, you know, all the ins and outs of this. Um, I'm really hopeful that this same set of regulation may help with tiny houses on wheels as well. Um, there's talk of potentially using the alternative materials section in the International Residential Code to add trailer as an alternative foundation material. So that would be a fascinating workaround. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's interesting though, is that there's a difference between what happens with building code and building code is usually about safety uh, safety from a fire standpoint, from a structural standpoint, from a, um, from a health standpoint, and use, which is typically part of zoning code. So building tells you how you can construct a building that will be safe. Zoning code tells you what you can do with that building. 
And so zoning code in most municipalities does not allow tiny houses on wheels to be located and occupied within that municipality because the use of those structures is not by their definition for full-time habitation. And that's because most municipalities treat tiny houses on wheels like they treat recreational vehicles. In many areas, recreational vehicles are by definition designed for short-term seasonal temporary use, not for full-time habitation. So the bank loaning to an individual versus a group actually has zip build zero to do with the tiny houses. Really didn't have anything to do with it. They weren't interested in that property being owned by more than two people. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, if the property owners, two individuals um, who are married, which therefore kind of makes them a, a unit in the eyes of the law, wanted to sell that property to the LLC, the mortgage lender could potentially call the loan due, which means they say, you know, you've done something that was not in our original agreement of you paying X amount of dollars for the next 30 years. So we're going to say you owe us all that money right now. Yeah. So unless there were sufficient funds among the group of people to pay that entire amount of money in one fell swoop, then it couldn't actually be owned. It would, it would, uh, the loan would you know default and, and, uh, there would be a, a big mess of trouble. Yeah. Right. So the ownership of a piece of property may or may not, you know, have to do with the use of that property. Um, but this pre-legal status, you know, the fact that many municipalities now are adopting the tiny house appendix, but in many of those places, tiny houses on wheels have not necessarily been addressed, still means that we're in a gray area. Yeah. And Portland is, stop me, have you guys talked about this? Not yet. No. We say it just okay. for your show. So Portland declared a state of housing emergency. This was a couple of years ago now that Portland declared the state of housing emergency. And basically they said, we don't have enough housing for all the people who need and want to live in Portland. So we're in trouble and we need to come up with solutions. Very, very recently, this was a couple of months now, Chloe Daly, who is one of our city commissioners and is responsible for planning and zoning in addition to many other things, created a stay on evictions from tiny houses on wheels Yay. and RVs in the city of Portland. What that means is that right now there is a little snippet of code in title 29, which is our maintenance code. And the maintenance code is the one that is referenced anytime you have an older structure. And this is true for new structures too, but new structures are typically built to code. The maintenance code was invented, was created in order to protect people from living in substandard housing. Totally good way, you know, good reason to create it. So it governs things like whether you have hot and cold running water, whether you've got a toilet, you know, all sorts of things that make perfect sense. You're not going to go rent an apartment unless you absolutely desperately cannot afford to. You're not going to rent a part, an apartment that doesn't have hot and cold running water, heat, and the toilet, yeah. right? Like that makes perfect sense. Right. Um, so the maintenance code, in the maintenance code, there's this little teeny snippet in Title 29 of maintenance code that says that it's not, 
it's not legal to occupy a non-habitable dwelling, including an RV. And since Portland's considering a tiny house on wheels to be an RV, right now anyway, that means you can't live in an, a tiny house on wheels in Portland, according to Title 29, the maintenance code. So this stay on tiny house eviction basically says that even though it's still not legal, they didn't legalize living in tiny houses, they said it's still not legal, but we're no longer going to enforce that while we're figuring out what we are going to do for regulation. And that not enforcing it part means that people who are living in tiny houses or RVs on private property right now are not going to be kicked out of those structures, which I think is a really great thing to have happen as an interim move. Because in this this state of housing emergency, there are a lot of people who've said, I can house myself in this way. I can get into an Airstream. I can get myself into a tiny house on wheels. That's something that's within my skill set, within my budget, within my interest in creating community, my interest in living sustainably, that I can do. And so the city is saying, okay, since we don't have enough housing, we're going to let you do that while we figure out what we're going to do for tiny houses in the long run. Yeah. That's basically what's going on. Cool. So I appreciate the succinct, I can tell that you've talked about this a lot. And specifically, I appreciate the <clears throat> succinct manners or as you have really walked very uh, factually through the challenges of living tiny legally and more specifically living tiny legally in Portland. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to thank you very much. Again, this is, this is one of the things I want to talk to you about. One of the side effects, however, um, I assume you're familiar with this and if not, that's okay too. One of the side effects, however, of this new Portland rule is now the Department of Transportation for Oregon is no longer issuing titles to RVIA certified builders for their tiny houses. Have you heard about that? No. Oh, yeah. And so we don't even have to go into it. I was just wondering because, again, it's, it's almost everything that the tiny house movement does. It always seems like it's sort of two steps forward, one step back. Uh-huh. So what has happened is... Portland, of course, said they were going to do a stay and say, we're not going to enforce this. We're going to allow you to occupy tiny houses and RVs on private property, da, da, da. And then apparently there was a conversation between this, between Portland and the state of Oregon where they went, oh, whoa, whoa, back up the bus. What is a tiny house? And the Department of Transportation realized that even for RVIA certified tiny houses, they didn't have a clear enough definition or inspection process. So they've now pulled all the titles of RVIA certified tiny houses that have been issued recently and they're no longer issuing titles. So all our RVIA certified builders in the state of Oregon right now are scrambling to figure out what to do. But again, the only reason why I bring this up is because it always seems like for every step forward, we also have to take a half step back. Um, We always seem to ruffle more feathers than we intend. Um, Would you agree with that? Or do you think, so I also have a mixed opinion on this whole allowing, um, tiny houses and backyards thing. Again, I even think that in itself is a two-step forward, one-step back because what they didn't do, however, is they didn't do a really good job, as far as I understand, of now clarifying what about eviction procedures. If someone has a tiny house, they want to park in their friend's backyard and that friendship goes sour once they live in such close proximity, how do they enforce that and how do they enforce sanitary codes? Have you heard... Anything about their intention in that regard? 
I haven't. Um, I would agree that there's this kind of two steps forward, one step back thing that is really common. Um, and I think this is true anytime that you're involved with a movement. You know, we've had a lot of forward progress with sustainability efforts, and then we step back. We've had a lot of forward progress um, with LGBTQ issues, and then we've had a step back. There's this push-pull that happens um, anytime we're, we're dealing with, uh, with change, with societal changes. And, and I think that one of the unforeseen consequences, besides the one I just learned about with regard to RVI certification, is that the guidelines that came out from the city of Portland regarding this eviction stay for tiny houses also stipulates that there can only be one tiny house per residential property, mm. which I think is a bummer. Yeah. First of all, because most of us who love tiny houses think, hey, you know, the only thing better than tiny houses is to have a couple of them in the same place. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, also because there are a lot of lots that are large enough to accommodate more than one yeah. tiny house. Yeah. And I think tiny houses are part of our housing options solution. They're also part of the way that we can increase density in our neighborhoods in ways that take advantage of existing infrastructure, supporting local businesses, taking advantage of transportation and parks that already exist instead of sprawling out Mm -hmm. into the suburbs, um, but can do that in a way that's graceful and that doesn't dramatically impact neighborhood character. Mm. So I think that there's actually huge, huge potential uh, for tiny houses to be an infill option. And unfortunately the city has, has not, left that as an opening right now. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, maybe it'll be by variance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but Michelle, I definitely hear you that, that it's this kind of, you know, we're making progress and then we step back and we make progress and we step back. And that's, that's how it is with a lot of things in our, in our society. Um, so I'm so hopeful. I think it's, it's nice that we have something to point to. I would much rather the city provide a way to treat tiny houses on wheels like accessory dwelling units the way that Fresno has looked at it, for instance. Oh, I totally agree. There are a couple parts of the Fresno code I'm not psyched about, (laughs) um, including the fact that you have to match the look of the primary dwelling, which basically means that it really only works well for a homeowner who wants to create a mini-me version of their house, which they can then rent out. Um, It doesn't work so well for a situation where people may come and go, um, or where somebody says, I don't want my house to look like yours. Yeah. (laughs) but I think that because Portland has so generously adopted an accessory dwelling units code, thanks to a lot of advocacy on that front, it would be a very logical place for us to have tiny houses on wheels treated as accessory dwelling units if we can meet those requirements. So I think that would be interesting. There are a couple places like Spur, Texas, where tiny houses on wheels have been treated more like manufactured homes. Um, once you put them on a foundation, connect them to utilities after you've purchased the land, et cetera. So in, in Spur, tiny houses on wheels are treated more like a manufactured home, which I think is a really interesting way to go too, because then they can be on their own lot. They don't have to be accessory to something else. They don't have to be hosted the way they are right now in Portland under the current um, tiny house eviction stay. Right. Um, I seem to recall that the uh, the first place you lived in, that the the extra five homes were zone is like remote bedrooms um and i'm curious and i understand that the reason why the banks want to have that kind of that married couple or, or whoever one person to, to mm-hmm. hold the the loan um but you've been there now or you've had property there for two years are you uh 
are you simply just paying rent or are you in your own mind, are you paying something that you should be or do have equity in? Yeah. So again, because we've created a new tiny house community um, that, that my husband and I own, we're in a little bit different situation because we definitely have equity here. No, I'm talking about, um, the, I'm talking about the first one that you've been in for two years. One, yeah. yeah. So, so we were paying rent there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually what I, what we were set up, um, that property was zoned single family residential and we were, it was a shared household, basically how, how it was set up. And the tiny houses on wheels retreated like detached bedrooms. We all had access to the kitchen, the bathroom, the laundry, the basement storage, a wood shop, garden, bike shelter, all of those things were all shared common spaces. Um, so, you know, when we were paying rent there, depending on kind of which space you were occupying, you might even be paying a parking spot, which is what I paid for a while as I paid it for a parking spot. And, while I wasn't technically building equity in the property, um, I certainly had a good sense of ownership there. You know, I had a, a good sense that because of our work parties, because of our community meetings, had a really good sense that it was a place that I could pitch in and have a say and make contributions and have my voice heard and make the place better. So I think all of that can happen even without a financial stake. But as I said earlier, it really helps with housing costs for people to be able to have that financial stake and for that burden to be shared among a larger group of people, I think would be a really neat, really neat thing to be able to do. Then I have have a different tack on a question. Um, Mm -hmm. We've noticed as we've talked to tiny house builders and watched the industry from at least Mark and I from the outside, that, Mm -hmm. that some of the manufacturers are running into really difficult times uh, figuring out the business model. Um, in, in fact, uh, we just, Mark, has that show air, that show air, has that show the profit aired it yet? No, it's coming up for the 29th, I so, think. Okay. So this month, the profit is going to be um, actually consulting to tiny, uh, to tumbleweed, tumbleweed yeah. uh, because they're uh-huh. in financial straits. And so, I'm wondering what, what your opinion as a consultant is on where the industry is going, talking about t- two steps forward, one step back relative mm-hmm. to um, how these homes are going to continue to be built and what's, is there going to be a shakeout in the construction market and whatnot? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Crystal balls, right? If we only had those. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Pandora's box though. <laughs> 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 oh yeah. Yeah. Michelle, you, you and Pandora's box. Um, no, I, I would say it's, um, it's really interesting to see. I'm, I'm fascinated to watch. I've been watching the tiny house movement since probably 2009 or so. Um, so over the last eight years, a lot has changed. You know, tiny houses went from being a thing I had to explain to a thing that everybody is telling me that their grandma wants, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely have seen more and more and more builders get into the scene, which I think is exciting in a lot of ways because uh, they're bringing fresh talent and new ideas. Um, I did a consultation with a builder once who was, you know, had done conventional homes and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm so excited about this. Cause it's, you know, it's going to give me the opportunity to, to do these. They're going to be so cheap and we'll do them fast and da da da. And I explained to him, I was like, I need you to understand that what you, the product that you're interested in manufacturing and selling, you need to think of it almost like you're making marijuana pipes where <laughs> in most places, there are lots of people who want to purchase your product and they cannot legally use it the way they intend to. Mm. Right. Um, so, you know, until we kind of get that part figured out, I think it's going to be really tricky for builders to do what they want to do and to do it well. 
There are also differences between building a tiny house on wheels and building a conventional home. And that confuses some folks. Yep. There are some people who are getting into the industry Big because time. it seems like a low threshold to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they might be like, well, I've never built a tiny house, but my neighbor did it, so I can too. Um, so that's, that's interesting to see. And I think we're going to have a lot of people who build. I think we're going to start seeing the ones who do it really well continue to rise to the top and those who find it's a struggle are probably going to fall out of the market just like happens with most small businesses. Um, I think we will see more and more houses that are small being built legally, whether that's on wheels um, and in the areas where it's, it's allowed right now, like Fresno um, and Spur. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more tiny houses that are on foundations, especially after Appendix Q. Um, so I think that as more municipalities adopt Appendix Q, more people will choose to build small. I think we're going to see a heap more accessory dwelling units and more municipalities changing their accessory dwelling unit code. Most people are not comfortable investing their life savings, their time, their energy, their blood, sweat, and tears in something that's pre-legal. So I sure as heck hope that tiny houses on wheels can be part of our solution to addressing housing in our country. But I absolutely think that what we're going to see more of in terms of small and tiny houses is ground bound and many of them in someone else's backyard. So do you, um, so, so Lena, do you, do you think that it, we might see instead of, of these smaller ground bound homes built in someone's backyard, a lot such as the one you bought purposely plotted or platted or organized so that you can put multiple little homes on, on the ground? I doubt it. And why is that? I would, I would love to see more tiny house communities and I'm hoping that some people choose to do them as planned unit development. Um, where it's really intended for it to be a bunch of tiny houses and maybe a common house too, set up kind of like ours with tiny co-housing. My guess is it's very unlikely that it will happen the way that we've done it with an existing single family home and a couple of tiny houses. Because in order to set up the way you just described, what you would actually need to do, according to kind of using tiny houses on wheels, would be you would need to have a recreational park recreational vehicle park. And typically those are only allowed in commercial zones. It's very difficult to do spot zoning to basically change the underlying base zoning of a particular area. So we're zoned residential. If we were going to say, Hey city, we would love for you to change the zoning of this 50 by hundred foot lot. We'd be paying an enormous amount of money for them to likely say no. Well, what if, what, what I was, I wasn't thinking about tiny houses on wheels. I was thinking about what you were talking about, which is a, a, a groundbound small house. So instead of having one big house, a typical house, and then putting a small groundbound house in the backyard, do you see the possibility of like having an empty lot zoned for housing that would, instead of having one big house and an ADU in the backyard, it would just have like, for example, four groundbound little houses on it? Absolutely. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I think we'll see a lot of townhomes. We'll see a lot of attached homes, which are basically townhomes. Yeah. Um, we'll see, especially at Portland. Have you talked at all about the residential infill project? Not yet. Not yet, no. So I know that's only sort of related to tiny houses. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the residential infill project, which is something that Portland is exploring right now, is going to be absolutely revolutionary for land use. It's a big deal. And basically what's happening there is the city of Portland is in discussion about a draft proposal for a way of rethinking our land use to make it much more dense while again, 
preserving a lot of the elements we love of the character of single family neighborhoods. And the way that that would happen if it passes, fingers crossed it will, yep. is that where you're currently allowed to have a duplex only on a corner lot, it would be, it would be p- possible under the new residential info project to duplex a mid-block lot as well. So if you've got a larger home, you can do a carve-out and turn that into a duplex. You can make two units out of it. Interesting. On a corner lot where you currently can have a duplex, you can make a triplex. Oh, interesting. Hmm. In Portland, where you can currently have an accessory dwelling unit, one allowed by right, you can have another one. So you could turn your basement into an apartment and then put a backyard cottage in the back. Wow. So yeah, you're... Again, if Portland um, you know, decides to treat tiny houses like ADUs, tiny houses could potentially become backyard cottages and uh, become ADUs. Got it. So I think that's one way that tiny houses could fit into it. I absolutely hope we see more small homes being built all across the board because they're huge homes. We've got some beautiful old homes and I hope those either can house big groups of people, families mm-hmm. or groups of friends, or can be converted into smaller spaces because the demographics do not match up with our housing stock right now. Yeah. Yep. Well, Lena, um, we're definitely going to have to have, have you back on in a couple of years. Just like this time. Yeah. It changes so much. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. A tiny house listeners. Uh, yes. Another fantastic show. We got deep in the weeds in it and yep. um, really good information though. Super content. And so uh, Rick McNerney, thank you for being uh, the magic man who makes us sound great. I know you've done the same thing with this show. Did you want to say something before we go? No, I just wanted oh. to thank Lena. Yeah. I just want to thank her for circling back. We have, you know, we um, here in the Tiny House podcast is not just about um, reaching out and interviewing people, right? It's about forming relationships. It's about staying on top of what's changing. Um, and so I sincerely appreciate the people like Lena that are, yeah. that are absolutely have the finger on the pulse. Yeah. And so while we think we know it all, um, uh, <laughs> Mark and I are like, not yeah. us. At the very least, for what we don't know, we have relationships and we have, you know, exactly. we have relationships and discussions with people that really do know what they're talking about. Absolutely. That's the best part. So thank you, Lena. Um, personally, I appreciate your taking the time for us today. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you. It's honor, an honor to be with you. Mm-hmm. And congratulations on your marriage. Too. Thank you. All right, Tiny House listeners, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week because we'll have another great person. Um, any reviews? No reviews. No, no. Okay. People don't like us. Everyone loves us all the time. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later. Bye. Namaste. Be good to each other. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever, you tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.